Morning, thank you, Val. Uh, the reading today is starting in Hebrews chapter 11, 30, uh, chapter 32, and that's on page 852. What, okay, verse 32. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edges of the swords, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that, that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with the perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, Daniel in the Lion's Den is on page 630, chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds on which to charge Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it is something to do with the law of God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisers and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the degree that anyone who prays to any god or any man during the th next 30 days except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree into writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs rooms where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, 
giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asked help for him. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or any man except you, O king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, and it cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to decrees you put into writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues shall ever be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of the nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment be brought into him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continuously, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God has sent an angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was founded of him, because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their poorer wives and the children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius went to all the peoples, the nations, and the men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and have reverence to the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of King Cyrus of Persia. Good day, everybody. I'm Dave. Um, I'm a member of this church, and Stephen's asked me to give the talk today. Um, thanks for having me. I know it wasn't your choice, but, <laughs> but it's a good thing because if all goes badly, we can all blame Stephen. So <laughs> that's something to take comfort in. It was a small compromise that spoke volumes. A few years ago, I was driving down to Victor Harbour with some friends. We'd volunteered to be on an event called Green Team Schoolies. For those of you who don't know, uh, this is a Christian-run festival for the, for the schoolie, uh, for graduating year 12s. On the drive down, we were talking about some ways we could share the gospel with these year 12s. Someone raised the point that when they find out that we actually pay to do things like clean up spew, they tend to ask, why? So anyway, we, we thought of some ways in which we could answer this. 
For the first night, we were stationed outside uh, the main festival so we could give direction to the schoolies. Two schoolies came up to us early on in the night and they asked us for bus details. So one of us quickly went and tried to find something. Um, and while they were doing that, the schoolies asked the question, why would you pay to come here to clean up spew, to volunteer to help us out? Great opening. And this is what I said. Nothing. Worse than that. The group just kind of awkwardly looked at each other, hoping somebody would say something for what felt like an eternity. Eventually, one of us found the details and the schoolies went on their way. So what was going on here? I feared looking like a weirdo. Ironically, I wanted to avoid having an awkward conversation. And underlying all of this, in that moment, my focus was fixed on my own world rather than God's. It was a small compromise that spoke volumes. Today we get to take a close look at Daniel, who when everything is on the line, won't compromise on his allegiance to God. How does he do it? Let's pray before we find out. Dear Father, thank you for this time together to gather around your word and consider what it means for us. Please help us to hear what you have to say and to respond in faith. Amen. So the first thing we see from this chapter is, when the going gets tough, lift your sights. When it's a struggle, when the pressure's on, it's easy for us to forget what we need to do. So this chapter and the whole book of Daniel shows us we need to lift our sights to something beyond ourselves. Let's have a look at the story and see why. The end of chapter 5 King Belshazzar of Babylon is taken over by King Darius, who rules under the law of the Persians and Medes. So let's get to know this king. In terms of wealth and influence, a modern-day comparison could be a combination of Bill Gates and Obama. This guy is powerful. Like the kings before him, Darius has a keen interest on expansion, domination, and making his name great. To help achieve this, he appoints 120 satraps, who are like governors, to rule throughout the whole kingdom. At the same time as decentralizing his power, uh, his kingdom, he also retains his power by appointing three administrators who rule um, and keep them accountable. This impressive kingdom is all about making Darius's name great. On a side note, for convenience, mostly mine, let's refer to the satraps and administrators as essays. So, I've been in government for the last six weeks, and there's acronyms for everything, so I'm just in that zone at the moment. Um, so, despite the change in rule, Daniel's impressed the king and is appointed as one of the three administrators. More so, we see in verse 3, ooh, Daniel so distinguished himself from amongst the satraps and administrators by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Darius wants to see his kingdom grow and flourish, and he identifies Daniel as a key to achieving this. In this new kingdom, Daniel's prospects are looking good. But it's not all smooth sailing. Darius's business plan causes some workplace rivalry. A subgroup of the essays hate the idea of Daniel rising above the pack. And so, in verse 4, we see this the essays, oh, I've even written essays up there. Satraps and administrators tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel. 
in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. From what we know of Daniel, it's not surprising that the essays find no fault in his professional life. He's an exceptional person. But they're determined to stop Daniel's rise to the top, so they continue scheming, this time looking into his personal life. In verse 5, the essays come to the conclusion that we will never find any charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these, these essays went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps and advisors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or human in the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it may not be altered. So the king, all butted up and full of ambition, issues the decree. In this story... It seems like the essays aren't so much motivated by a hate of God, but a workplace rivalry. What's critical is that they see Daniel's allegiance to God as weakness. In fact, it's the only weakness they can find, and it's something they think they can exploit to bring Daniel down. In their mind, Daniel's allegiance to God is weakness, and true power lies in staying close to Darius and his kingdom. In a sense, you can see where they might be coming from. We only have to look back to chapter 1, and we see Daniel's hometown, Jerusalem, being taken over by King Nebuchadnezzar. Jerusalem, the place where God was supposed to dwell and protect his people. What's more, Darius has now taken over Babylon. You can see the power structure in the essay's minds. There's King Darius up the top, then the kings of Babylon, and then Daniel's God of Jerusalem a distant memory. Can you imagine the kind of pressure Daniel might be feeling to conform? In some ways, this social pressure Daniel's facing is similar to what we might face in Australia today, where Christianity is viewed by many as irrelevant, outdated, even sometimes immoral. Do you ever feel the strain of this in your circumstances at work, home, with friends or family? Can it influence and shape the way you're living for God's kingdom? A few years ago, I was on a trip to Alice Springs with some friends. One of those was a tourist from Canada. I know, alarm bells should be beginning to go off already. We went on a day hike to a place called Ormiston Gorge. The day before, Alice Springs received a record amount of rain, and so many of the tracks were flooded. This manor hike took much longer than we expected as we were looking for alternative routes. It was late in the afternoon and it was getting to the end of our trail when we reached a fork in the road. The only path back to the, the, only path back to the bus was completely flooded and my Canadian friend looked petrified. After a period of non-communication, he explained to me that as a kid he'd had a bad experience where he tried to cross a similar river and had to be rescued. But this was the only way back to the bus. So one by one, the crew swam across the river 
and my friend just stiffened up and developed a paler shade of white. Till eventually it was just the two of us. It was getting dark. My friend turned to me and he said he couldn't cross that river. So for the next hour or so, I tried everything to convince him otherwise. I used logic. Everything will be fine. It's not really that deep. But if we turn around now, it's going to be dark. Then we will be in trouble. Tried to comfort him. I'll cross with you. Little did he know I'm a terrible swimmer. I even attempted an inspirational speech. Nothing worked. In that moment, it didn't matter that the better and the more logical option was for him to cross that river. All he could think about was his experience as a child, the cold water before him, the potential consequences, and it paralyzed him with fear. I wonder if this can sometimes be our Christian experience. We know that the better option uh, is to be serving God in His kingdom, but we can sometimes be swept up and influenced by our immediate circumstances. When Daniel finds out about the king's decree, if his focus is on his circumstances, the people who think is God's weak, the ferocious lions waiting for him in the den, then like my friend, he'll surely be paralyzed with fear and compromise on his allegiance to God. He needs a bigger picture to stand firm in the face of conflict. The same goes for us. The first thing we learn from Daniel is, when the going gets tough, lift your sights. And we'll see that we don't just lift our sights anywhere, but to a source of incredible comfort and inspiration. And so our next point is, when the going gets tough, lift our sights to God's kingdom. In life struggles, this chapter shows us that we need to lift our eyes beyond our circumstances to what God's doing with His kingdom. And amazingly, we can even do that with thankfulness. Let's have a look at how this comes out in the chapter. So through Darius' decree, the challenge is set for Daniel. To praise only Darius for the next 30 days, leading to a swift rise to the top of the kingdom, or remain faithful to God and face the lions. In verse 10, we see Daniel's response. Now, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he decided to give the essays a taste of their own medicine. He made a vicious rumor that the essays were worshipping the gods of the silver and gold. With the attention away from Daniel, he was able to continue worshipping God in peace and quiet. Does that sound familiar? Maybe not. Okay, let's try again. Um, Now, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went to his upstairs room closed the windows that faced Jerusalem, turned up his sound system as high as he could and prayed to God as softly as possible so no one could hear. I've got to say, a part of me finds these options pretty appealing. But can you see any issues? Up to this point, Daniel's been public about his faith. People who walked past his window on a daily basis would have heard him praying to God. His colleagues certainly knew about this. So if Daniel went off the radar for the next month, it would send a message that he revered King Darius more than God, that he was more confident in Darius' kingdom than God's. may have seemed like a small compromise, but it would have spoken volumes about where Daniel's focus was. 
because of this, that Daniel responds the way he does, for real this time, in verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. This verse gives us great insight into how Daniel remains faithful. Let's break it down together. When Daniel's life is on the line, his instant reaction is to get down on his knees and pray to God. In doing so, he's recognizing his humble dependence upon a sovereign God. You can see echoes from last week's passage, where Daniel boldly tells King Belshazzar that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. Daniel's life is spinning out of control, and it's because of this that he turns to real power. And there's more to this scene. Before Daniel prays, what does he do? He goes to his upstairs room where the windows are facing towards Jerusalem. You can imagine what the essays might be thinking as they witness this scene. Jerusalem, that dumb. Isn't that the town that was decimated by Babylon? Is he really pinning his hopes to a failed city and its failed God? But when Daniel looks towards Jerusalem, he doesn't see a hopeless town with no future. He sees God's unbreakable promises from the Old Testament that through Jerusalem, God would bring about his eternal and glorious kingdom. It's this context in which Daniel gives thanks to God, even before asking for help. Striking, isn't it? Daniel's life is on the line And the first thing he does is give thanks. Speaks volumes about the value that Daniel places in God's kingdom. When Daniel's facing pressure, he gets down on his knees, looks to God's promises and gives thanks. And notice it's not just his go-to prayer in the tough times. Three times a day, he got on his knees and prayed, just as he had done before. Daniel's in the habit of looking to God's kingdom and giving thanks all the time. This makes sense to me. I know how easily I can be distracted from God's kingdom. One minute, I'll feel like I'm living for Him, and then the next, like a moth to a flame, I'm drawn drawn into the world around me, and God takes uh, a seat in the back of my mind. I'm sure Daniel had moments like this too. He wasn't Superman, but... His solution is simple. Look to God's kingdom, pray to Him with thanks whenever you can. And we can do this too, to take the time each day to look to God's kingdom with thankful hearts. It's one of those things, the more we do it, I'm sure the more thankful we will be. This is our fuel. It's what keeps us going and growing as faithful members of God's kingdom in this world. So when the going gets tough, lift your sights to God's kingdom. With this in mind, we come to the last part of our chapter today, where we see God intervening in incredible ways, ways which make it difficult to not want to join in. When the going gets tough, lift your sights to God's kingdom 
and participate in his unfolding plans. In choosing to pray, Daniel acts in faith towards God's kingdom, and in doing so, he sealed his fate. The essays catch wind of what Daniel's done, and so gleefully they confront the king. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human, except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The law stands in accordance with the law of the Persians and Medes, which cannot be broken. And so, with a skip in their step, they said to the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decrees that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard the news, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort to do so. And yet, Darius can find no avenue to save Daniel. Sad, isn't it? This king, who had the equivalent power of Bill Gates, President Obama, who could click his fingers and just like that send entire families to the lion's den. He can't even save his protege from his own decree. It's interesting that at this point in the story, it doesn't really seem like God's intervened at all. And yet, Darius is already exposed for the weak man that he is. It's as if God doesn't really need to do anything spectacular for us to see this. Darius was never going to succeed. His kingdom was always going to fall, like the one before his and the one before that. What are the things that are drawing our sights from God's kingdom at the moment? Is it security, social status, leisure, relationships? If we look carefully at any of these things... I think they can just as easily be exposed as Darius. They don't satisfy, and they all have an expiry date. And so it's at this moment, as Darius stood there hopelessly, while Daniel was tossed to the lions, that he says to him almost flippantly, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. The spotlight is now firmly fixed on God. And as we'll see, he's establishing his kingdom in powerful and incredible ways. We pick up the story in verse 19. At first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his side. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king, overjoyed that Daniel saved, orders him to be lifted out. And to celebrate, he sends all who falsely accused Daniel and their families into the lion's den. Before hitting the bottom, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. In saving Daniel, God demonstrates his power over all creation, including those ferocious lions. God and his kingdom suddenly don't look so weak, and Daniel is vindicated for putting his trust in him. 
But would it be any different if God hadn't saved Daniel? Would our message be different today? Remember the context of Daniel's daily prayer. He looks to Jerusalem. And it's with this lifted focus that what God, what, this lifted focus to God's kingdom, that what God does next is truly inspiring. In verse 26, Darius writes to all the nations of every language in all the earth. He says, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. How awesome. Darius sets out to make his name great, and by the end finds himself declaring to all the nations of every language to worship Daniel's God. God's establishing his kingdom in incredible ways, and he's calling us to be a part of this. When push comes to shove, Daniel lifts his sights to God's kingdom and chooses to participate in his unfolding plans. And we can see why. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. God's kingdom is glorious and it's unstoppable. Daniel's on a winning side and he knows it. It's this knowledge that gives him the confidence he needs to stand firm in even the toughest situations. If we see what God's doing with his kingdom with the same clarity that Daniel does, then like Daniel, it's going to shape our lives in massive ways. The reality is, we do. We see it with even greater clarity than Daniel. We don't pray towards the ruins of Jerusalem. We pray towards the heavenly Jerusalem, the city built by God and built through Jesus, our great King. We know that Jesus died on a cross so that we can be members of God's eternal kingdom. We know that Jesus rose again, defeating death. So unlike the things of this world, we can be confident that God's kingdom will never expire or diminish. We know that Jesus is now seated on the heavenly, uh, heavenly throne and that any day now, he will return and complete God's promised kingdom. In God's love, we have an even clearer picture of God's kingdom than Daniel. I know as well as anybody how easy it is to get swept up in the day-to-day life, to be distracted from God's kingdom. But in this coming week, What does it look like for us to have our sights focused on God's kingdom? To be able to face our lines because our life's hidden with Christ. To stand firm in the face of pressures to conform because God is a rock that we can lean on always. To endure an awkward conversation with schoolies or with colleagues or friends and family. 
because we're members of a glorious kingdom. And we want people from every language, of every nation, in all the earth, to be a part of this. When push comes to shove, lift your sights to God's kingdom and participate in his unfolding plans with great thanks. Let's pray. Dear Father, we praise you, for you are a glorious God. Thank you for the privilege to be a member of your kingdom, which will never perish, spoil, or fade. And we praise you, Father, that you're establishing your kingdom in incredible ways. In the week ahead, we ask that you'll help us to spend time remembering these things, so that our hearts may be filled with joy and it may shape the way we live now. When we face pressures, please give us the courage and strength we need to stand firm for your kingdom. We pray all this in your name. Amen.